Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to know about the company I'm in charge of, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Two co-hosts tonight, Brad and Kerry Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to know more about their company, check out MuskieMayhemTackle.com. Our guest today is Tony Spicker. He used to own Big Game Baits, but now he's running a different brand. It is Brotherhood Baits. Tony, thank you very much for coming out tonight and taking some time to talk to us. Sure, no problem. Nice to be here. So, Brad, Carrie, Carrie, mostly, I guess. It's been a little while since we talked to you on the podcast. Thanks for coming back. We really appreciate it. I thought you were going to take the summer off. Uh, I can. <laughs> No, they won't have any ratings if you do that. Nobody's going to listen anymore, so you better stick around. <laughs> I can't remember. Where was I last week? Then? Oh, I had to help Mika with something last week. Yeah, you had more important things to do, you know. Another meeting. It's a, yeah. That's acceptable. School work and another meeting. Oh. Oh, that's right. I was in another meeting. Oh, all these weeks lately, they just kind of all mash together. It's hard to keep it all straight. Yeah, well, it's when you're hanging out in your house all day long, it doesn't they all feel the same? Yeah, I hang out all day long, all the time. So, Tony, like I said, thanks for coming out. Typically, first time guest on the podcast, we're looking to go background story. And with you, from all the conversations I've had with you, I'm assuming there's pretty much almost no place that you haven't fished for muskies. I know there's multiple, multiple states, countries all over. I know you've been pretty much everywhere. If there's a place a muskie swims, you've probably fished it. So why don't you give everybody a background on you? You know, start as far back as you want to go. Let them know what you're all about so they get an idea who you are. And then uh, Brad and I are going to fire some some uh, questions at you. And uh, an hour is going to pass, and we're going to have had a good conversation. So let's uh, let's know about, a little bit more about you. All right, all right, sounds good. I talked to a guy named Alex Tibolga to start Big Game Tackle back up back in uh, ninety eight ninety nine. He started it and then stopped it for a little while to have a daughter, and I talked him back into it, and we partnered up, and then he ended up getting tired of doing it. So I ended up buying it from him, I don't know, three years later, four years later. And then, uh, man, I had a little hand in Custom X and got away from that and sold Big Game and started up Brotherhood Base with a buddy uh, named Kyle Savino. And that's where I'm at right now. Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about the products that you're making currently, and then we're going to shift gears. And I want to know some more history on your background when you first got into this sport. Well, it's pretty much, it's changed a little bit since we started. We started with a, uh, a dive and rise. I made a dive and rise just playing around with it. And you guys know Kevin Goldberg. Ended up giving Kevin a couple of them, and uh, and they worked really well. So, Kyle Sabino, I met him through Keith Cortapassi, the Cortapassi brothers. Everybody knows who them guys are. They used to come by and just hang out and, you know, with paint or whatever. and buy a few baits here and there, but uh, I got to know Kyle, and uh, Kyle talked me back into going full-fledged. I needed a break from it at the point that I stopped, but then I got back into it, because, you know, it's kind of like in your blood, you, you know, it's a done deal. I'll probably be making baits till I die, but we're doing uh, we're doing some dive and rise. We just recently uh, made a 
kind of crankbait for them Georgian Bay guys, you know, bigger, bigger fall time bait. We're in the middle of making that same bait in an eight inch trifecta, we call it. And we make a couple little small baits too. We make a little switch bait, stroller, whatever you want to call it, OT, whatever you want to do. But uh, we call it a spring fling. So it's, it's for the early Eastern guys. And we'll get into that, Brad. I know you wanted to talk about that too. But, you know, them, them guys like smaller baits. And, and uh, you know, up Northwest, they like bigger baits. So pretty much a diving diving rise and, and a little crank and one big crank right now. We do make a 18-inch crank that, you know, most guys aren't going to, fish them because they're breaking down easters and it's just that it's just too big of a big of a bait we'll probably do like 10 a year on those but they're pretty much wall hangers i mean there's a couple guys fishing them out there but they're just they're breaking down easters so but that's it pretty much as far as baits that we're currently making yeah for the people out there that don't know what a down easter is that is a rod holder that uh is a metal rod holder <laughs> It's probably the best one that you can buy out there at this point. Wouldn't you agree, Tony? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's cast aluminum, isn't it, Brad? Cast aluminum? Yeah, it is. Correct. And it comes together, it kind of grabs hold of the rod, and, you know, with so much torque, it just bends out the little ears on the side that hold, uh, hold the rod in. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, which that kind of spawned a whole different idea and concept that I know you and Kyle worked on. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Talking about rod leashes, Brad? Yep, that's what I'm talking. Yep. Okay, well, you know, how many guys break a, a down east or whatever in their rod and their, you know, their $250 rod along with their $200 reel along with their $100 bait goes flying. But the guys uh, like Georgian Bay, stuff like that, the guys that are grinding rocks, and I think they started it, but they would build a, a rod leash and it would be four foot and it would have this big cable ring around the reel and big cumbersome and wouldn't, uh, it wasn't friendly with down easters and you could only go like, if you, if you pull a rod out, you got a fish and you pull a rod out of the rod holder, you only got four feet to fight it. Well, Kyle and I came up with a pretty nifty rod leash that's kind of like the old school phone cords when you were a kid. They stretch out there. They shrink up to like 12 inches, and then they stretch out to like uh, like eight foot. So you can walk around the boat. You know, they're great with pools, flyers, your nipex, whatever. We're hooking everything up to them nowadays. But uh, just a pretty neat little deal. Yeah, that's for sure, Tony. And I think uh, it's something that pretty much anybody could use in their boat, even if they aren't a troller, when it comes to their nipex or whatever tools that they might be using in the boat. Exactly. I mean, what's the, what's a pair of Nipex cost nowadays? 80 bucks, a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's right in the ballpark for sure. Yeah. So, you know, you lose one and you know, that, that hurts uh, a rod leash. We're selling rod leashes with the noose and the rod leash itself for 35 bucks a piece, you know, and for a $500 combo, you lose a $500 combo, you know, you'll start, putting a tether on your rod <laughs> right well it's great insurance that's for sure and I, i've held one in my hands they are really nice so i thought maybe it was worth a mention when you started talking about the downies rod holders breaking there's the solution yeah especially up north them guys you know grinding rock you know georgian bay all that all that them guys that grind uh 
big periwinkles and marges and when they're grinding them in rocks, you know, that's taking a toll. You know what I mean? It's something's going to fail. And um, so when did you get started in this, Tony? I mean, as far as your fishing, not necessarily the bait side of things, but what got you attached to the muskie? Well, you know, everybody starts with a bluegill with their grandfather, right? I mean, I, I, I did the same thing, but I got kind of late in the game. I wasn't, and I couldn't even put a year on it, but it's probably early 90s, mid-90s. A buddy of mine uh, took me to Lake of the Woods, and for the first year or two years, I didn't want nothing to do with a muskie, and he finally talked me into buying a muskie rod and a few baits, and I bought, I bought like five crane baits, 207 an old school grant rod with a C3, you know, and uh, the first day on like the third spot, I, I caught like a 40 inch. I didn't even, you know, didn't even have anything to measure it with or nothing, but it was right about 40. And after that, it was musty blinders, you know, eight, 10 years. I didn't do nothing but chase musty. It's adrenaline rush. You know, you know, you got it. I, I know exactly. I mean, it's funny. Once it happens to you and that bug hits, I mean, you're both feet in, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So nowadays, Tony, you're probably spending more time chasing crappies and hanging out with Carrie? You know what? I would, uh, if I ever ended up back in Minnesota, which is going to be next year, I'm hoping Carrie and I can get out and do some of them bluegills she's been telling me about. <laughs> she put you up to that, didn't she? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm full circle now, Jeff. I still fish a lot of muskie, but I'm not, I, you know, around home, we don't really have great musty water. So, you know, I got grandkids now. So back into the bluegill crappie thing. So, Tony, you're out of Gary, Indiana, correct? Yeah, whatever, Bill Beekner. No, it's not Gary, Indiana. <laughs> close. <laughs> I'm close. I, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> well, you know, there were some good times back then. Show season, right, Brad? Yep. We had a great year there, Tony, when uh, you spent, how long were you up here? Three months? Uh, a couple for sure, yeah. Uh, two months. I think it was two that, months. That was a lot of fun. Um, we unfortunately didn't get to fish together as much just because I was guiding at that time, but we still had a good time, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Most definitely. Missed them days. Like I said, it, you know, there were good times. There were good times in my life. That, that, you know, you, you, you remember the good? Well, that's a big portion of it. That's awesome. So let's talk, you know, the uniqueness about you, Tony, that I think is you've had the opportunity to meet so many unique individuals in this sport. And what I'm talking about that when I say that is bait builders that most people never ever met or maybe even didn't hear about. And, you know, the East provides a lot of that. So maybe you can go into that a little bit. You already mentioned Crane a little bit. Let's talk about some of those guys. And unfortunately, we're losing a bunch of them. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's the sad part. You know, uh, Jack Cobb was a big mentor of mine, and I talked to that guy probably at least once a week, most of the time twice a week. and. Uh, you know, his passing, it was sad to me because he got a little bit of a blurb in a Muskie Hunter magazine, and that was about it, you know. But we're losing these guys. Like, uh, look at Jake Satonica. I mean, the history behind that guy. You know, he just lost his wife, Rhoda, and 
that's a whole sad story, but you know, there's a ton of them out there. Howard Wagner, I mean, there's how much does he fish? He's not a bait builder, but the history that guy has is just amazing to me. And you know, there's just a ton of bait builders out there that are getting up there and, and you know, not anything against the, the young guys that are start you know, that are starting to get into musky fishermen, but they don't even know who these guys are. And it's sad to me that there's no like, you know, mention of these guys. You know, there's a ton of them out there. You could talk about them for, for days. I think the neatness is that you did have the opportunity to meet a lot of those, Tony. And, and I know you introduced me to a few of them as well when I was at the Ohio show the one year. And truly loved that moment, too. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I've been fortunate enough to be in the business long enough to where I've been able to go. See, I'm right in the middle of it, Brad. Uh, I can go up by you guys it takes me you know nine hours to get there or i can go to new york and it takes me seven hours to get there i'm right in the middle of all of it so i've been fortunate enough to be in a, a lot of guides boats back in the day because of pro, pro staffing and you know to that nature but meeting guys like kevin goldberg and paul Pisario and fishing with you know adam andreski and them guys out that way in ohio you know, Kevin knows pretty much everybody out that way, and I was able to learn both sides of it. I, I do most of my fishing out east now. I don't even really spend much time, uh, like, Wisconsin, Minnesota anymore. So where I used to go there exclusively. Now, I still go, I still do Canada here and there, but east is, you know, Pennsylvania and Ohio, there, um, New York, there's some outstanding fisheries out that way that nobody even, you know, really does except those guys, you know. Have you spent any time in West Virginia yet, Tony? I have not. No, that's one state that I haven't. Virginia or West Virginia, I haven't done any of that. I'm surprised with all the connections that you have in various places that you haven't made that happen yet. You're like the musky gypsy. I've been offered to go that way, but, you know, and sure, you can put something together yourself if you do the research, but it's just, for me, I get three weeks a year. That's what I get. So I'm going to, you know, do I go to a place where I cut my teeth at or whatever and, and learn through friends or by myself or whatever and have great success going there? Or do I go do something new again? Yet again, you know what I mean? So I've been sticking to what I know instead of venturing out and doing something different. We have been doing some pretty cool up north trips like the Saskatchewan, Lakers Unlimited, that, you know, that kind of stuff, Halston Bay for big pike and stuff like that is is really cool but you know that dollar amount really uh you got to save up for that if you're a guy like me <laughs> that's funny yeah if i had jeff whitman money you know i'd go twice a year right that's what i was waiting for <laughs> <laughs> poor musky retailer i gotta work three jobs in order to make this work you're off traveling everywhere i see how it is three weeks a year my friend three weeks it seems like 30 yeah not really it's fun, though. The three weeks that I do, you know, you got to make them count, right? Oh, you for sure make them count. There's no doubt. I get lots of pictures when you're on those trips. It's I'm, I'm almost jealous. Actually, I'm really jealous, to tell you the truth. Come on with. Someday. I keep telling you that. Someday I'm going to make it happen. I don't know. It never happened. I know. I understand. That's been that way for a long time with a lot of guys. I've finally been able to get out with some guys, you know, just... One year at a time. That's it, buddy. You still got youngins, though. You, you, 
you'll loosen up in a, in, in a couple of years here. Yeah, I got a couple youngins. In fact, I get to deal with them quite a bit lately with the homeschooling. I got to deal with Zach this morning. He wasn't impressed oh. with going to school. Yeah, your basketball team, it just keeps getting bigger. No, not it's not getting any bigger. It hasn't gotten bigger in six years, and it better not get bigger anytime soon. Uh, speaking of kids, you seen Mika lately? Jeez. Oh, yeah, I've seen her. She's uh, she's changing fast. Man, good thing she doesn't look like her father. Good thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> no, it's a good thing she doesn't oh. look like you. <laughs> uh, that's probably a, a true statement, but yeah, she she's something, man. You know, she's continually uh, working on something and uh, developing things and whatnot. But you know, we're doing the homeschool thing as well. We try to get that done in the morning, and then we shift gears, and we're still building baits. And I know today she was coming up with some new bait ideas that she wants to play with. So. I, I told her, I said, well, we got to make sure that they catch fish before we sell them because she wants to make a whole pile of them and then try to sell them. And I'm like, no, 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 not the way it works. <laughs> uh, we need to we need to build them and then test them and see how they how they perform first. So she's uh, yeah. we're trying to occupy that time. Put it that way. Funny times we live in right now, boy. No doubt about that. Well, let's let's. Uh, so let's talk about your fishing out east, Tony, because, you know, it's intriguing to me. I've not spent much time out that way. What percentage are you trolling versus casting? Mostly trolling. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I got a little history of back history. I broke my back in a couple places, blah, blah. I can't cast too long. It just ruins me. I can't do it, especially if it's during the beginning of the week. So I'm, I'm pretty much of a troller. So it, it's pretty... It's about 95% trolling. And that kind of seems to be a norm, though, or the theme for the outfit East fishermen. If, if I'm speaking out of term, let me know. But I know there's both. But I would say the greater percentage is more trolling. Would you agree? I would. With, like, guys that I know out East, you know, most of the time they're trolling. I would say 70-30. Because they do cast in the spring and they, and they cast in the fall. Yeah, they'll cast in the summer, too. but Mostly it's, it's trolling for most of them guys. Right. I, I know some of the small river stuff and things like that. I mean, there's no other option but to cast. But, you know, it's always intriguing to me the, the different. There's so many people in the Midwest that they could care less if they ever trolled ever again, you know. But it's such an effective right. method if done right. Well, you know, and, and I have that argument with guys all the time, you know, uh, guys are like yeah trolling's kind of cheating and, and and the first thing i say to them is if trolling's cheating and it's so easy jump in your boat and go out and do it and tell me what you know tell me how you did at the end of the day if there's an art to it just like there is casting i'm not taking away from casting i'm not taking away from trolling but it's just as hard sometimes unless you're on like magical lake st Clair, right i mean we've had some pretty amazing days out there my personal personal best day out there uh, was it actually I, I can't even recall it mine I was with Goldberg and we did uh, 28 in a day 29 in a day we almost hit 30 I know that but that's a pretty amazing day anywhere USA or Canada and down I don't care so, where you are I mean that's incredible it's ridiculous it is but you know there's an art to it just like there is casting 
so what uh, Brad was saying was, you know, he kind of alluded to it a little bit about you being out east, but I know you also spent a lot of time in the Midwest. Like, let's just talk about baits in general as far as um, size goes. You know, what what do you what do you see when you're going east versus what do you see when you're in the Midwest? Uh, little and big. You go east and they're, they're using small baits. I know a, a buddy of mine, he's on a uh, he's on a pretty good summer bite, and he's using sissons. I don't know if you know what a sisson is, but it's like a small crankbait, like a, like a big fat wrap or a KDD, you know, for the younger guys that you know what a fat wrap is, Brad. Uh, it's just a little crankbait, you know, it's a bass crankbait, and they do really well on it. You know, you don't do that in Minnesota. When's the last time you've seen somebody trolling anything under, you know, eight inches? You don't see it. But out there, it's like the norm. They eat little baits. It's, it's crazy. I would have never guessed that until I started going eat and learning more going that way. But it's just, it's, it's amazing to me how small a bait they use out east versus what you guys are using up in Wisconsin, Minnesota. Totally different ball games. I'd say it's kind of twofold there, though, Tony. There's also, like, the marge, you know? How big is the marge? A marge, well, he makes a few different sizes, but his bread and butter is 10 inches. So, I mean, it, it's funny to me because, yes, they use a lot of small baits, but then there's also these giant baits that people aren't using here. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, there's, like, two different methodologies, if you will. Right, that's right. The mentality up north is big baits. The mentality, you know, towards Ohio are, are, are smaller baits. It's just what they use, you know, and it's, you, you go with what works and you stick with it, and that's what you have. So is a big bait, small bait thing forage-based? Is that what you see out east versus what you see in Wisconsin, Minnesota? Is that is that the difference, Tony? Well, you know, there's a lot of thin-thin shad and stuff like that, spottails, and, and then we're that smaller forage base. But you guys got that stuff up there, don't you? You got smaller bait fish up there. So I don't know if that's to be 100% true or not, but it sure does seem like it is. So are then the guys in Wisconsin and Minnesota missing the boat by not running smaller baits? You know, I don't know. I've never ran smaller baits up there because you guys make us run big baits. <laughs> I don't know. I like to cut against the grain, and one of the things that I've always hear about is that, you know, in the spring, you got to use small bait. Well, guess what? I'm going to go big. The reason I'm going big is it's totally unique to, you know, everybody else is throwing this other stuff that's maybe smaller. I'm going to go a little bit bigger, and the reason I do that is to set myself apart, and I also believe that a slower-moving big bait is uh, it's a more presentable, easy meal for a big fish, so... That's kind of my mentality. You know, there's so many factors in this game of fishing. Yeah. Let's right. talk about going against the grain. So when you're out east, I know trolling speed is quite a bit faster than what we troll in the Midwest. Are Midwest guys missing out by not running faster when they're trolling? Ask Billy Beekner that. Because Billy Beekner was on a bite. He invited Kevin, uh, Kevin and I out there. I fish a lot with Kevin, if you could tell. Kevin and I uh, got invited out there. I couldn't make it. Kevin ended up making it. And um, Kevin's like, hey, let's try to go fast. And, and Bill's like, yeah, well, you know, they like them at 3.5, uh, you know, 3.6. That's what they like them at. And 
And Kevin tried to talk him into it all day. Finally, they were getting ready to go in at lunch. And Kevin's like, hey, let's just, for giggles, let's just crank the trolling motor all the way up and see what happens. We're going to troll right to the ramp and go eat, you know, eat, eat lunch right there. So just, just for fun, let's, let's kick up the trolling motor. And I, I think they caught two on the way in at like 5-2. So, yeah, I think you, are, you guys are missing the boat a little bit on that. I just think that's one of those things that I wish I could get outside my comfort zone a little bit more because I think I'm probably, I mean, I would, I tend to agree with you. Sometimes we're okay with, you know, running three, five, three, six, and then uh, getting a fish. That's, that's a, that's success. But then there's also times where I think if we would gamble, we could probably move that number to, you know, two, three, four fish potentially. But then on the reverse side, I always have Brad in my head. And he's always telling me, don't, don't reel so fast. It's not always about speed. So, you know, much like everything in muskies, there's no hard, fast rules. Yeah. Day to day can make that change as well. You know, speed of retrieval or speed of trolling, it's definitely something that you need to experiment with daily. I don't care what day you go on the water. I mean, yesterday they wanted them burning. Today they want them slow. You got to adjust. How many times does that happen to you where you, you go out one day and you're burning a bucktail and they won't even look at it and you slow down and you start catching them slow and then the next day you start off slow and they won't even look at it so you start burning it and you start catching them again. So true. I mean, that's what we're. That's what I'm saying. And Why is it any different trolling? I, I guess, you know, that's the brain set. I think you got to really kind of think about things when, when they're not going and you're not seeing them or maybe you are seeing them, you know, with some of your electronics nowadays, but as you're going over some of these fish and they're not eating, maybe go back over them one more time at a different speed, you know, definitely makes a difference when you're casting. Trolling should be no different. Yeah. I think the fastest I've ever caught a fish is probably just at six or just over six, and that was on St. Clair. You know, St. Clair, again, is a different beast, but I think six, is about Howard Wagner. Let me back up and say that uh, Howard Wagner used to have these little shows at his house out in PA, and he would invite me every year. He would invite me because he would buy lures from me to sell at his little show, um, and he had it on his property. I never made that, and that, that's one of them things where you know I'm so mad at myself for not ever making that to one of his shows because he he's another guy that's just a brainiac. But he sent me a videotape and it's and it was titled uh, Howard Wagner Musky Short. And uh, he was in this little 16-foot B-bottom boat with like a 25-horse on it or 15-horse, whatever it was. And this guy would put on a believer with a uh, plastic front, and he would cut the tail off of it. And he'd put a piece of wood in the lathe, and he'd make a, a wood tail for that believer. And he would do like as fast as that little John, or I mean that little bee bottom boat would go in this video, and he was catching fish on it. He's up on plane in this boat, Brad, pulling this believer and catching fish in the summertime. So the How rework to believer was probably oh, you know, to make it swim in that speed. Yeah, it's, the the wooden tail drags it back and lets it. You know, a believer's not going to do eight ten miles an hour. It's going to bust out. But that wooden right. tail, I don't know what it did to that believer, made it not bust out and stay in the water, and he'd catch fish on it. Craziest thing. Yeah, it's amazing what people can do. Um, what's Howard Wagner doing now? 
I haven't talked to him in forever, uh, but he, he, he likes his trout. He likes his, his, his trout and salmon. He's pretty much laid off the, the musky fishing from what I understand anyway. Was he retired, Tony, when he was really uh, fishing the muskies or, you know, what did he do for a living? You know, that's a great question. I know he was a, the guy was a brainiac. I know that. I mean, he, anything he could fix anything or, you know, just a blue collar guy through and through. But I don't know what he did for a living. That's a good question. I'm not sure either. That's one guy that I never got to meet. I, I'm sure you did multiple times, I'm guessing. No, actually, yeah, I talked to him a ton on the phone. You know, back in the day, again, I don't talk to him much anymore, but um, I've met him face-to-face. Man, I don't know if I ever have, come to think of it. I don't know that I've ever met him face-to-face. I know he's got some giants on his belt, man. He, he's one of them guys where he used to say, I'm, I'm a little stingy, you know, and wouldn't go fishing with anybody because he was scared that somebody would give up one of his spots or something. And just go out and, uh, you know, catch giant fish wherever the guy went. So cool. There's a lot of them people out there, too, that we don't even know about. You know what I mean? He got some yeah. exposure, and but there's a lot of them that never do and don't want it either, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Most of the best guys I know, you know, as far as musky fishermen go, most people wouldn't even, they wouldn't even, it's not a common name at all. You know, they just keep to themselves and catch giant fish. and. Half of them won't send you a pic, you know, if you have to see them in person in order for them to show you some pictures because they're afraid that you're going to send it to somebody else and some send it to somebody else. There's like this weird secret society in musky fishing. It's kind of a strange deal, but it's also intriguing at the same time. Yeah, that there is. So, Tony, I know you've been on a pile of different adventures. Out of uh, out of all the adventures you've been on, which the which is the one that you think you'd want to go do again? That was like the best one that you're like, I have to go do that one more time. That would have to be Ottawa St. Lawrence rivers. That's just an amazing fishery out there. But you know, getting out there is a little tough. When you say it's tough, like it's tough financially. It's tough. What's tough about it? I guess and getting uh, getting out there is a pain. Financially, it's it's a burden. Financially, you know, and them guys, them guys, uh, them guys are pretty tight lipped out there. You know, you got to be in that little group, if you will. So it's tough all the way around. I think there is a lot of small cliques in this industry. Meaning, you know, there's groups that share amongst themselves. But if you're standing on the outside looking in, um, it, you're not getting any benefit from them. That's for sure. So I, I don't think that's uncommon anywhere, actually. But, you know, one of the things that if you can get a group of people that work together and they're honest with one another, you're definitely going to all benefit from that, you know, and, and catch more fish. So finding those right cronies, if you will, that uh, they're going to help put more fish in your boat every day. That, and then them up north adventures, I know a lot of guys look at pike and go, ah, yeah, it's a pike. I go out there and catch, uh, you know, my biggest spike is a 47 and a half right now. And that, that was on Tolston. You want, you want to, you want to have a lot of fun. Go up to a place like that where you're catching, you know, 400 pike in a week and, you know, 47 of them are from 41 inches, which they consider a trophy, 41 inches, to 47 and a half, you know, for that trip that I was on. It's just ridiculous. It's something that you need to do in your lifetime. 
I mean, you're up there in nowhere, class. You know, it takes you an hour and 20 minutes by way of float plane just to get to where you're going on the island out there. You know, Great Slave Lake is huge. But stuff like that, you know, that's, that's, that's a close second uh, in my book. What year did you go there, Tony? Three years ago. And we're going to go again next year just because uh, it was, you know, just a great trip. And we did that. Uh, Lakers Unlimited and caught some really nice pipe there too. I think Kyle got a 47, Rena got like a 45, a 46. Uh, you know, we caught a bunch of pipes that were over 40, but that Boston Bay was, uh, was quite the treat. Now, what kind of tackle were you using for that? Uh, light stuff. We were actually using, uh, when we were casting 200 Calcuttas and like a flipping stick for bass, a heavier flipping stick. And, you know, I, the biggest fish I got on, on that rig was uh, about a 46. So they can handle it, you know what I mean, the, the rig itself. Now, you got to play them a little better, but it's just a ball. Yeah, that sounds like a total blast. Were you involved, too? Did you go do a, a lake trout deal, a casting lake trout bite? Yeah, well, I failed to mention that. But when we went to uh, Lakers Unlimited, it was kind of half and half. Uh, we've got a biggest lake trout in our camp. Well, not in our camp, within our group. So Kyle and I went and Kevin and Rena Goldberg went and the biggest, uh, the heaviest laker we got was 28. Kyle got a 28 pounder. I got a 27 and, and so did Kevin and Rena. They, I mean, they were right there, but, uh, there was a couple of guys in camp that, that got a, got a couple of thirties, but, uh, it was like, uh, you go. You play the weather, I suppose. If you can get out on the, and that's a big lake too, Saskatchewan. So it's a it's a big windy lake. You go out when the conditions are right for the Lakers, and when it's kind of nasty out, you can uh, you go for pike uh, amongst the islands. So it's like the best of both worlds. It's kind of like molasses where it's wide open, but then it's kind of like Lake of the Woods where there's a ton of islands around. So you just play the weather for whatever species, you know, and that was cool. That is cool, and I know a lot of times guys that are doing that lake trout thing, they're using musky baits as well. Yeah, probably our number one bait was a bondi, a white bondi. All right, so, Tony, you, you've been a bait builder for a long period of time. You've built tons of different crankbaits. You've used tons of different crankbaits. Not only crankbaits, but, I mean, you could even talk a little bit about jerkbaits as well, but, you know, Round lip versus square lip. What's your thoughts on that? I'm an old school guy, and I think round lip needs to be in a trolling bait, and I think a square lip needs to be in a twitching bait. I mean, obviously, there's baits out there that are very successful that have square lips in their trolling bait, you know, and there's the other way around, too. So I just like a twitcher because, you know, I caught my first fish on cranes, and I used a crane angle with the square lip on that. And then, you know, my, my first trolling fish came on round lip. So I pretty much stuck to that my whole bait building career. So there's not a lot there for me. I find it interesting, Tony, in the state of Minnesota, I've heard from different guides, different anglers throughout the state, that they do not catch muskies with round lip crankbaits. Now, that's not everybody. I mean, that's the percentage of people. But it's interesting to me, and I think a lot of times it's based upon 
what you caught your first fish on. Is there any other real difference between a round and a square lip? You know, you put a different angle on a round lip or a square lip, the bait's going to act different. You know what I mean? How many fish are caught in Minnesota on a jig? Answer that question. That's a round lip, but it's kind of like a square lip because it's long and slender, but it's got the round end on it. So, you know, so many, you know, you kind of try to let the fish tell you what they're going to eat. You know what I mean? I concur. I, I agree with what you just said. That was a perfect answer, in my opinion. Let's talk a little bit about angles and basically what that does for depth curve and everything else. Well, obviously, the size of the lip's going to matter, right? If you put a big, giant lip in something, even if it's uh, not so much of an angle, it, it, it'll get a little bit of depth. But basically, if the if the lip is, like, towards 90 out the bait, it's going to be shallower. If the lip is sticking straight out the front of the bait, it's going to get deeper, depending, again, on how big the lip is. If it's a big lip and the lip's sticking out straight like an old scuba, it's going to get deep. But if it's a if it's a small little Nils master that's got that same angle coming out of the front of the bait, but it's a, a small little lip, it's not going to get any depth. So typically, though, are you going to be able to get more speed out of one that's straighter out of the bait or one that's more bent down? Typically straighter out. The old scubas that you made when you still had big game, they're still being made, aren't they, Tony? Uh, I don't know how many Bill's making, but uh, I've seen a few out there, so... I, I really couldn't answer that question 100%. I, I would hope he's still making them. You know, it was a it was a really good bait back in the day. I, and I still run mine every once in a while, but uh, I don't know how many he's making, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm not really sure either. But, you know, that bait, I, I want to say, didn't we get that thing trolling at like 10 miles an hour at one point? Yeah, but they were, there, there was a, you know, just like any wood bait out there, there's going to be different, you know, densities of wood, and you try to you try to weigh your stuff, and you keep you know that density in check. And not a lot of times you can do that, but there was a few of them that yeah, you can get up you know eight nine miles an hour with them before they blew out, but not too many of them around. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I mean, think about that. Think about the pressure on that. I remember when I started when I first started making scubas, I couldn't come up with a name and I asked you and you just spit it out. It's scuba diary. You know, they get deep, right? <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> I, I, uh, you reminded me of it just now, but yeah, that's where it did come from. That's pretty cool. I forgot about that. Remember Tony, you can't catch fish on a seven and a half inch scuba though, right? <laughs> Somebody once told you that. <laughs> yeah. And that was the first time we were in the Green Bay, right? Yep. Cut pile. Like I can't get things eaten. I can't get them eaten. They won't eat them. They won't eat them. And what I do a weekend? I, I was I was lucky enough to stay with you and your uh, your lovely bride for a weekend, and we got to fish Green Bay. And I don't know, we caught a couple of them on it. Yep. Nothing crazy, but a couple of them. First time I've ever seen the seven and a half inch get eaten on in Green Bay. For anybody that cares, five inch scuba divers on Green Bay, they don't work well at all. Right, right, Tony? They don't work at all. <laughs> ah, that was a good bait. Still That's cool. Still is oh. probably a good bait. That's why I got a whole tackle box full of them. Yeah, boy, we've had some sessions too, haven't we, Jeffrey? We've, we've been on the phone for quite a bit playing with uh, different colors. And what if you did this? And what if you did that? And we're, again, some good memories back then, you know? Oh, yeah, that was fun times. Be getting new big games every single week with 
how many how many different <laughs> custom colors. In fact, those sessions are half of probably what started Team Rhino Outdoors was just playing around with you with different colors all the time. Yeah, pretty neat, man, how everything evolved. I still even look back on them for references so occasionally. Like if I'm looking for to bring out a new color in something, I'll go dig around in the box of scuba divers because there's umpteen million different colors that we had in there. I mean, I literally have a box of 65 scuba divers or whatever the heck it is. It's probably more, but it's an entire done right box filled up with it. With maybe uh, one or two standard colors and everything else was just off the top of your head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was some crazy stuff. Fun well, the neat thing is that Tony can paint pretty much anything. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't know about that, but yeah. I know there's a lot better out there than me. I can tell you that. So the next question, aluminum versus plastic lip. The first thing I think of when, when I, when I hear aluminum versus uh, Lexon is uh, depth. The aluminum is, is more rigid and it gets deeper. It's just a fact. Lexon, not so much, but you know, some guys don't like Lexon. I mean, I'm sorry. They don't like aluminum because they think the fish can see them. And, and there's probably some truth to that, but, you know, it's whatever you're confident in. That goes back to the confidence thing, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, now, let's add another one to the mix because I know that, I don't know how available it is, Tony, but the street sign lip, where did that come about? That came from uh, them Canadian bait makers. I actually thought it was John Perry, the guy that makes periwinkles. I thought it was him that started that. It was not him. It was uh, Jim Hutchings. Uh, Hutchings bait, I don't know if you guys ever heard of a, uh, of a Hutchings, but it's kind of a bat-style bait. It looks, it's a cylindrical bait, and it's just got a, a little table towards the end, and it's a big round nose, you know, looking bait. Jim's relative cousin, somebody in his family, used to work for streets and sanitation out in the uh, Georgian Bay area, out that way, and uh, he used to get free lips from the guy. I mean, three signs that he would cut in the lips. You know, back then you used what you could find, right? And he just got uh, three signs from his cousin out of a, out of a factory or whatever and started using them. And, and then they figured out that it's, uh, aluminum works, works a lot better on grinding uh, rocks and electrons. So, you know, it stuck. That's pretty cool. That's, that's a great history piece right there that you just gave us, Tony. He was a pretty cool guy. Uh, Hutchings, you know, that's, uh, you know, them Canadian guys look up to him big time because, you know, I mean, back in the days, an old school guy, Mike Ross still fishes with the guy. He still gets out in the boat. So it's, it's a pretty neat deal. For sure. Just crazy all the different twists and turns that the musky world has as far as lips and different stuff and different bait makers and East and Midwest and all the different nuances that are available in the musky world. It's, um, I just wonder, like, I'm not really into bass and I just wonder if like they have those types of, I don't know how to say it, like that type of history within the bass world or not, because I, I'm assuming the majority of the guys that are fishing bass are using, you know, your Rapalos and your box, box store type stuff. Is there, is there that kind of stuff in the bass world anyways? I I don't hear about it, but I don't, I'm not in that world. So that's what makes it the musky thing kind of unique and cool to me. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, Jeff. I don't know. I'm sure there's, you know, you talk to guys like Dostagnetti, he he would know more about that. If if you want to ever know about any kind of bait in the world, ever, bass or musky, talk to Joe Stagnetti. That guy, he has more um, knowledge in older baits than, uh, than anybody that I know. 
you know, in either bass or musky world. But I'm sure there's some of that. I would like to think that there probably is, but again, it's not something I see all the time. Like I'm assuming, I just wonder if there's the guys making the little small batches in their basement and, you know, same thing in the walleye world. You know, like I said, the musky thing is just, it's just, uh, I don't want to say it's like a small, it's, I always call it small, but big, you know, it's a small community, but yet it's bigger than you think. And there's a lot of cool stuff that comes out of guys just tinkering around in their garages and their basements. And I just wonder if you have that type of stuff in those other those other species. Yeah, I think what what I've seen, and and this kind of started out east as well. I'd say more by Erie, the little bit that I know about it. But there's a ton of custom painting of different walleye baits. So you go buy a bunch of Rapalas or whatever it might be, a Berkeley product, whatever. It doesn't matter what brand, but. Guys are custom painting them out east, and now we're starting to see that kind of filter here into the Midwest as well. Yeah, you're even seeing that in, like, big box stores. You know, you go to Cabela's, and they got a, a, a rack of custom painted, uh, you know, husky jerks, husky jerks or whatever, you know? Yeah, hands down. I mean, that, that has been one thing that I would say kind of relates to the musky world, in a sense. You know, the custom side, which basically is what Team Rhino kind of spawned off of as well, is all the custom so it's kind of interesting to see it kind of following suit in some ways. Yeah, very cool. Hey, Tony, we just want to thank you for coming out on the podcast this week. We truly appreciate it when all of our guests take time out of their schedules to talk with us. So if anybody's looking to know a little bit more about Brotherhood Baits or want to see samples or whatever of the stuff that you got going on, what's the best way guys can do that? Well, uh, best bet is uh, look up uh, Brotherhood Baits on uh, Facebook that's pretty much the only thing we got out there. You know, we got no website or anything like that since we're, since we're so small, but, uh, that's the best way to find us. And Carrie, you want to talk a little bit about musky mayhem tackle? Yep. You can find musky mayhem tackle at muskymayhemtackle.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also find Brad under musky mayhem guide service. And you can, the other thing you can look at is our YouTube channel. If you subscribe to that, you'll get notified for all the new content that we put out, which I think we still have a few videos coming. Yeah, subscribe to that, and then you'll get notified when the new, next one comes out. And this week, we want to thank everybody again for listening to Backlash Podcast. If you found us once, you should be able to find us again. But if you're looking for different places to listen to it, you can check us out on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and someday I'll actually be up to date on YouTube. We do have a YouTube channel for Backlash Podcast. We got a couple videos up there right now. So if you want, check out YouTube also. You can find a Backlash Podcast. For Team Rhino Outdoors, you can check us out at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com or you can go to Team Rhino Outdoors on Facebook, Instagram, at TRO Fishing on Twitter, and, of course, we have YouTube as well, and we've actually put up some videos lately. So if you want, check us out. Hit subscribe button on that. Hit that bell notification so you can actually know when we put out new videos. And I think, unless somebody else has anything to add, I think that's a wrap. I don't know what episode we're on, 53, 54, something like that. Not exactly sure. A huge thank you to Tony for coming on. Hey, man, my pleasure. It's a blast. I enjoy talking to you guys, and we need to catch up anyways. So, with a blast. Yep. Thanks again for coming on, Tony. We really appreciate it. Have yourself a good night. Thanks again for all of our listeners for listening to this week's episode of Backlash Podcast.